This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Tonight, we hold our loved ones just that much tighter as our hearts are heavy while our thoughts and prayers go out to the families and friends of the victims of the Humboldt Broncos crash while Canada tries to make sense of this unspeakable tragedy. Good evening. I am Maureen McGrath, and this is the Sunday Night Health Show, a show all about health. It's been said your health is your wealth. The benefits of great health cannot be overstated. Great health leads to a longer, happier life and even better relationships, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, and sexual, uncovering what lies beneath the sheets. I have a passion for up-to-date and accurate health information to guide you so that the life you lead is the best it can be. Please put the kitties to bed tonight as listener discretion is advised. We're going underneath the covers. On this program, my aim is to provide you with up-to-date, evidence-based information so that you know there are options for treatment and you can speak to your health care provider about those options. So please do always consult with your medical doctor or medical team. If you want to give me a call tonight, the number to call is 604-280-9898 or long distance 1-877-399-9898. Or you can always email me at nursedoc at hotmail.com. Good evening, Andrew. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay. How about you? That's good. Well, I'm doing fine. Thank you. It's been a it's been an emotional weekend. It certainly has been. It's been it's been quite the week. I was actually down in Scottsdale, Arizona at a dinner and there were a lot of uh people there from Alberta and from Manitoba and from Saskatchewan and I heard one woman say to another woman across the table there's been a bus crash. The Humboldt Broncos um were involved in a bus crash and and then it wasn't too long thereafter that we learned of the tragedy of 15 dead and so many critically Injured. Anyway, tough week. Yeah, it, you know, you spend a lot of time when you're working at a news talk station. You sort of, you sort of wait for that to happen. And you know, I've been I've been here. You know, eight hours yesterday. My oh. eight hours today. And yeah, yesterday we uh, at the station we actually we we derailed a bunch of our programming because we needed to you know cover this for a few hours right absolutely and it's been a long time since i've gone home from a shift emotionally exhausted oh absolutely i think it's it's touched the heart of every canadian Mm -hmm. and you know it's so tragic such a shame and of course people need to grieve people need to talk about it we need to support other Canadians and and do what we can there's a GoFundMe page that has been set up more than four million dollars so far wow that's fantastic which is incredible I remember yesterday morning it was at I think the goal was 50,000 or 100,000 and by the time I made it into work it was already over a million and then by the end of the day it was two and a half and now it's over four well it's good to hear it's crazy stuff. Yeah, it's it unfortunate. Is. I know. And sometimes life is so hard. And final thought: it's fantastic to see support come out like this, but it's a shame that it takes something like this to see that support. I know. And I know. we all know that support is there, and it's it's a reminder that every day, you know, every day is important, right? Be kind to one another. Be Love kind. each other. Appreciate. You know, I, I just flew in to be honest with you, and. Uh, I was, there was a couple that was actually having a fairly loud verbal fight about nothingness on one of my flights that I was on. And, uh, and 
and, and they didn't even care. And it just was about to become physical when one walked away after the other one said, well, you cheated on me anyway and started screaming, oh. cheater, cheater. And anyway, you know, it's just like, you know, in life we have to really think about what matters in life. And those little arguments, those tit-for-tat little things that where our egos get involved and we're going to be right and we're going to win and, you know, at the end of the day, none of that matters. Be forgiving, be loving, be easy, be reconciled, grow, be tall. Anyway, so this is a this will continue to be a subject that Canadians mm-hmm. discuss, I'm sure, and uh, will be a tough one uh, regardless. Okay, so um, Andrew's got the lines open, so you can give us a call if you would like to do that, but certainly go to that GoFundMe page if you would like to contribute to the um, families and friends of the Humboldt tragedy. Tonight on the program, we're going to keep this uh, a little bit in line with some tougher things that happen in life. And, and you know, I'm a nurse, and I've worked in the hospitals, and, and you know what, dare I say, I'm going to say it, I've made the occasional medication error. I can think of one in particular where I gave 20 times the dose of the antibiotic. Fortunately, it wasn't a narcotic. Um, but a mistake was made. We make mistakes in hospitals. We, hospitals are run by humans. And human beings are, guess what, imperfect. None of us are perfect. But um, according to a recent study by Johns Hopkins, more than 250,000 people in the United States die every year because of medical mistakes, making it the third leading cause of death after heart disease and cancer. So I'm going to be talking about medical errors that occur. And I have a wonderful guest who's joining me tonight, Claire Snyman. She is a uh, an author and a TEDx speaker. She wrote the book, Two Steps Forward, Embracing Life with a Brain Tumor. She wrote that after uh, she was diagnosed and treated for a brain tumor and endured some medical errors. And Claire Snyman is here to join me tonight to talk about that story and share that with all of you. So we'll be getting to talking to her fairly soon. Also going to be talking about some of the, you know, with every black cloud, there is a silver lining. And sometimes you think there cannot possibly be a silver lining in this. And that's actually been said to me. One time I had uh, some pretty significant troubles and somebody said, this is this is pretty bad, and there's a silver lining in every black cloud, but I can't see a silver lining here for you. I'm like, thanks a lot. But with every black cloud, there is a silver lining, and the silver lining can be when those medical errors are made, how have they changed protocols in hospitals? So I'm going to re- review some of the more common situations that have occurred that have led to better health care. Also going to be talking about forced positive thinking. Is that good advice or not such good advice? I'm guilty of that too. Uh, you know, thinking on the bright side or uh, thinking of how uh, we can look, look at the brighter side or, or be positive in something or, or be grateful. And, you know, sometimes 
apparently that's not the best advice, according to a Harvard psychologist. And who am I to argue against a Harvard psychologist? So I'll be talking to you a little bit about that. Um, with my recent travels, of course, I'm in Uber and cars and Lyft. And, uh, and so people share their stories with me, especially as soon as they find out what I do for a living. And so my Lyft driver actually shared a story with me about uh, she wondered if her boyfriend was living true to his sexuality. So we're going to be talking about how to tell if your boyfriend is living true to their sexuality. And Ashley Madison has been resurrected. If you're not familiar with Ashley Madison, that is the dating site for married people. Yes, you heard it. And not necessarily the people they're married to. They're not promoting that you date your uh, spouse. <laughs> they're actually suggesting you date somebody outside of your marriage. So they've, if you recall, they had a pretty significant data breach a couple of years ago. But there's a new CEO and they've got some, some new... Um, uh, security, more more in line of banking type security, so it's pretty significant. And um, so I'm going to be talking about um, the la- the latest and greatest, Ashley Madison. Keep in mind, I have actually counseled couples who've met on Ashley Madison. So they've met and they've left their lives and they were grieving and they were having problems and the things that they loved about the person online or after they met them online, they didn't appreciate once they got together. So it's not always... Uh, Oh, not always roses. Everything doesn't always come up roses. But when people cheat, who do they cheat with? You'd be surprised. So I'm going to review a study about that as well. Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about some little um, techniques for you under the covers and um, some things you might find around your house that can be pretty darn helpful. And um, if you don't have a big budget for some things that might, um, like personal massages, then you might find something like that in the kitchen drawer and be able to make it yourself. So I'm going to help you with your budgeting. <laughs> that's what that's about. Because uh, finances are, of course, the one of the top two contentious, most contentious issues in a marriage. Go figure. Uh, can't be in Vancouver anyway, or any of these other places where the housing prices are high. Okay. And uh, what else have we got on the docket for tonight? Uh, going to be talking a little bit more about uh, how to understand your partner if they are a narcissist. And I'm also going to um, talk to you a little bit about how tennis is related to sex. I was actually, um, I'll tell you a little bit about that later on. Um, I went to Scottsdale, Arizona. I invited everybody I knew. Nobody could come with me. Not one person. I think I'm going to get an inferiority complex. Now, the, if 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 there is a friend out there who's listening and says, uh, you didn't invite me. Well, I went to like 40 people, but don't worry. My friends aren't out there listening. So, um, But I had to go down there by myself. Going solo is okay sometimes. And uh, so I'm going to share a little story about tennis and sex. Um, so I think we'll... Uh, also going to be taking your calls and I will be reading your emails and sharing with you some of the stories in my clinical practice and how I never tell people not to um, re- uh, resolve issues with uh, an, a spouse or, you know, if they've separated. I'm always like, yeah, you want to work it out, go for it. But there was one woman I just had to say, why? Why would you ever go back to him? I'm going to share that story a little later on in the program. But when I come back, Claire Snayman is going to join me and we're going to talk about her great book, her TEDx talk, and how she embraced life with a 
a brain tumor. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I wanted to read an email to you from a gentleman from Alberta. Hi, Maureen. I just watched the service live on the bus crash of all those young and old souls. This has hit me very hard since hearing about it, and I felt very weird today mentally. I don't even know any of those people, but they feel like family, Canadians, I suppose. I suffer from severe depression and anxiety, just wondering if I'm the only one feeling this way about such a tragedy. My toilet bowl is full of used Kleenexes. Best regards, Glenn. Thanks for your email, Glenn. You know, it just tells me that you're an empath and, um, you know, you're in good company. I'm an empath as well. But it's tough being an empath because you wear your heart on your sleeve. You feel other people's pain and it's not easy to be that that way, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. And I am certain that many people across the country are feeling the way that you're feeling today. I just saw on Facebook that tomorrow, oh, not tomorrow, sorry, April 12th, April 12th, let's get that straight. That's not tomorrow. That would be uh, tomorrow's the 9th, 10th, Thursday, April 12th, Jersey Day for the Humboldt Broncos. Wear a jersey to school to show support. Hashtag jerseys for Humboldt. And uh, the instruction is basically wear anything green, a green jersey. Any jersey um, uh, can be, I guess, green is their color. So you do what you like, show your support. Thank you so much for doing so. Um, We're going to shift gears a little bit now. And I'm going to be talking about some other things that occur in the healthcare system. According to a recent study by Johns Hopkins University, more than 250,000 people in the United States die every year because of medical mistakes, making it the third leading cause of death after heart disease and cancer. Other studies report much higher figures because the number of deaths from medical errors can be higher because of the fact that many funeral directors, physicians, coroners, medical examiners rarely note on the death certificates that human errors and system failures were involved. And death certificates are what the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention rely on to post statistics for deaths nationwide in the U.S. and in Canada as well. We have deaths here in Canada as a result of medical errors also. And we are human beings. We make mistakes. There and but oftentimes there is a silver lining, and we can have uh, improved protocols as a result of those mistakes. Uh, so all is not lost. I'm honored to have in the studio with me right now Claire Snayman. She is the author of the book Two Steps Forward: Embracing Life with a Brain Tumor. She did a wonderful TEDx Stanley Park talk recently about her experience, and in particular as it related to the medical errors that occurred while she was being treated for her brain tumor. Good evening, Claire. Welcome to the studio. Hi, Maureen. Lovely uh, to see you, and thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you for coming in here. It's great to have you. So um, you're, uh, I'm, you're looking fantastic, and which is so nice that you're healthy and well mm-hmm. uh, to be able to share your story and share your story with the masses. Mm-hmm. But let's go back. Let's step back in time and um, tell me a little bit about uh, the symptoms you were having and the mm-hmm. diagnosis of a brain tumor. Thank you. I will do. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's one of those diagnoses that you never expect. And this was a while ago for me now. So this was in 2010. Um, so I was, gosh, I was middle-aged. My uh, son was only four. And um, I suddenly 
woke up one morning and the room was spinning around me. Um, and uh, I, I had no idea what this was all about. I, I certainly had not had too many glasses of wine the night before. Um, and I got out of bed, tried to make it to the bathroom and felt completely nauseous to the stomach. Uh, lay in bed for the rest of the day and thought, you know what, I've been working too hard. I've obviously been doing too much. And I thought, I'll be good the next morning. But I wasn't. And what happened then after that is I got an intense headache. And I am not one for headaches. And it developed into a bit of a migraine. And my husband used to get migraines, but I never did. So this was very bizarre. And I decided to visit my GP because these type of symptoms were not normal for me. So I did. And she took a look at me and she said, you know, this is very strange presentation. Uh, I'm not liking what's going on here. Let's give you some medication to see if we can get rid of your headaches. But I'm thinking you need to perhaps get further investigation. Uh, I'm querying meningitis because of the presentation of, you know, this vertigo, intense headaches, not normal for you. So I, I went to the emergency room and had a CT scan, so, you know, an uh, image of my brain. I had a lumbar puncture to check for meningitis. And it was in the ER, and I'm, I'm sure you being a nurse, you know the ER. It's Only busy. Too it's well. crazy, man. <laughs> As a nurse and, and a patient, I know the ER. There's, there's waiting. There's blue gowns. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was there where I was by myself. My husband had stepped out for a coffee. And, of course, at that moment, that's when the doctor arrives. And he looks me in the eye, and I'm like, Yes. And he says, Claire, he says, listen, he says, we think you've got viral meningitis. He said, uh, that's what's, you know, causing your headaches. But he said at the same time, uh, we, you've, you've got a brain tumor. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. We're going to hold on that note. We're going to go to the news and we're going to come back and I'm going to ask you what that felt like to be told that you not only have viral meningitis, but also a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. I am joined in the studio by Claire Snayman. She's the author of Two Steps Forward, Embracing Life with a Brain Tumor. She's sharing her story of her diagnosis of not only viral meningitis, but a brain tumor. And she received that news if you were just joining us now as when she was alone in the emergency department because her husband had just happened to step out at that uh, opportune moment um, to get a coffee. Mm -hmm. Life goes on. Um, So Claire, thank you so much and uh, for being here. Thank you. And sharing the story. So you're in the emergency department and they tell you that you have viral meningitis Mm -hmm. and a brain tumor. And a brain tumor. And that... Like it's like you have the cold and the flu. That's right. And that just stopped me in my tracks. Of course. I didn't know what he was talking about. And he said... And uh, he said, the neurosurgeon will come and talk to you now. Uh, it's it's not really a big problem. And he'll talk to you, let you know your treatment. And then he left. And I was left there by myself. And it, it's almost like all the noises stopped around me. And I was just left with bright lights in myself. And I actually didn't know what to do. And we don't even consider that a medical error. We just consider that... <laughs> A functionality. <laughs> medical discourtesy, perhaps. But uh, we're it's talking about ER medical department. errors. Yes. Yes, it is yes. the ER, but that does not excuse it. I remember I was in the emergency department once, mm. and I knew the people at the hospital, and I was 
vomiting blood. I was very, I was quite sick. And I said, I'm vomiting blood. And they said, no, you're not vomiting blood. And I thought, okay, thanks. That's not blood. Okay. Could have fooled me. I vomited again. I said, I'm vomiting blood. No, no, that's not blood. I'm like, okay, could have fooled me. Next thing you know, they're putting me into the special care observation unit, which is one step below ICU and one step above the floor. It was a nicer unit. And so because they knew me, I thought they were being nice. And I said, oh, don't give me any special favors. No, I do not want to, you know, don't put me in the SCOU because it's nicer. And they said, oh, no, we're not doing that. You're vomiting blood. I'm like, I knew I was vomiting blood. (laughs) I I am the one who diagnosed that first. (laughs) Um, So this, so we're talking about the medical errors. So that wasn't one of them, but uh, if you'll carry on with your story. Yeah, sure. Uh, So, you know, I think for anybody who receives any type of news about a health diagnosis, Mm -hmm. the uncertainty of it all for me going forward was probably the most challenging part of it. Not knowing what was going to happen, the what ifs that were flying around in my mind. Mm-hmm. I was told by the neurosurgeon that for me, uh, it was a non-malignant brain tumor, uh, meaning that it was non-cancerous. So it was benign. Correct, benign. Mm-hmm. But I think the one thing I have heard is there's nothing benign about having something inside your head that's, that's not supposed to be there. That's right. Which I think is very true. Mm-hmm. So for me, my treatment was that I was uh, going to be followed up with yearly MRIs to see that it wasn't growing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had my migraine meds and meds for vertigo. And I was seen by a host of specialists. Um, the the For me, the errors that came through in my treatment were, some of them were small. And I think this is where things crop up is that healthcare systems are so complex Mm -hmm. and our bodies are so complex. And for me, it was small little things that made me realize as a patient during my journey that I needed to step up and be more aware of what was going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, for example, after I was told in the emergency room, you know, you need to have yearly MRIs. uh, But then in my report, it said you just need one MRI next year. And I'm like, hmm seems different because mm-hmm. I was told I needed yearly MRIs, but the report says only one next year. So I realized that was a discrepancy between what was said and what was written. Mm-hmm. So I realized I needed to be a lot more vigilant in tracking. Right. And that could be the dictation because we're all on Correct. electronic, a lot of us are on electronic medical records. Mm-hmm. And and when you dictate into it and mm-hmm. then it's transcribed, it often does not match. There's a bit of a discrepancy. I've seen yep. it myself. <laughs> yep. And I think, I think I, I flagged that mm-hmm. and followed up on it. So I'm glad that I did. Right. Because yeah, that absolutely. could have been a complete difference, absolutely. right? Between, oh, hey, once off and actually yes. this should be a regular thing. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing. Um The other thing was that after my diagnosis, I think for me, what was very important was trying to figure out and learn more about my condition, Uh, really trying to understand it more. Because the first thing that I did do, I must be honest, was when the doctor told me about my diagnosis and I was left there by myself, I did ignore that little yellow sign in front of me, which had a big cell phone on it with a big cross through it. I thought, I'm sorry, (laughs) I'm Mm going to ignore that. And Dr. Google is going to talk to me. Because I was left by myself. Right. So I started to educate myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but a year later, when I did finally have my MRI, and my neurologist said to me, this is great, your MRI is stable. No further MRIs are needed unless your symptoms change. Now, I queried that because I knew from a lot of the research I had read that the medical standard of care was yearly MRIs. Mm-hmm. And I'd been told in the ER as well, you need yearly MRIs. So right. I was like, mm, this is sort of conflicting information. 
So I did ask for a second opinion. And the second opinion said to me, no, you need yearly MRIs to continue to monitor your brain tumor. Mm -hmm. So that was another sort of mistake that slipped through uh, and something that I, like, if I hadn't tracked, been a little bit more educated about my condition and just said, oh, that's fine. I don't need them anymore. That might have just passed me by. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for me, the biggest challenge came through when I actually got acutely ill. And um, this was two years after I was diagnosed. And for me, this started, again, with a spinning room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I had another vertigo attack, which is, you know, that spinning room. Mm-hmm. And um, I then were, had the strangest phenomenon. I couldn't look up with my eyes. Mm-hmm. And so my GP, given my history, said, I need you to see the neurologist. By the way, I had a fantastic and still have an amazing GP who has mm-hmm. always been my sort of uh, navigator. Mm-hmm. And so she sent me to the neurologist uh, who looked at me and said, no, I think you're fine. I think it's an ear infection that's causing your balance to go off. You can go home. And so I went home. Um, and about a week later, I developed an intense migraine that would not respond to any of my medications mm-hmm. at all. And my GP tried to modulate medications. Nothing worked. So she said, you need to go to the ER. I think you need a CT scan. We Mm -hmm. need to do further investigations. So I went to the ER and I said to the doctor, I remember this clearly, I have a brain tumor. I have had vertigo. I'm dizzy. I have an intense migraine. I think I need a a CT scan. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, I'm going to just, have you seen anybody? I said, yes, I saw my neurologist. So he spoke to my neurologist and he came back and said to me, Listen, we're going to give you an IV with, you know, migraine medication. No MRI or CT scan is necessary. I think you're good to go home once, you know, you've completed your medication. Did you go to another hospital, another emergency room? You know what? By the time I'd had, I was... Don't share too much information is what I say to people when they go to the eMERGE. I'm like, don't tell them the background. Just go in there with your symptoms. Start afresh. (laughs) Start afresh and exaggerate a little bit more. It's a good point. Sometimes you have to do that. It's a Mm -hmm. good point. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we, I think we make, especially as women, we underestimate things. We, you know, we, it's okay. It's not that bad. You know. And that is actually true. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been studies on that showing women mm-hmm. uh, and symptom presentation. Absolutely. But, um, and yeah, so I was, I was sent home. Wow. Uh, after uh, n- presenting myself with all my symptoms, mm-hmm. asking, you know, for a CT scan. And when I remember when I got home, my husband said, you know, it, well, he fetched me, brought me home. And he said, oh, did they do a CT scan? I said, no. He said, What? He said, surely they should be doing one. Mm -hmm. And then over the next couple of days, I started getting more confused and I started forgetting words Mm. and my legs started getting weak. And my husband said, this is it. I'm taking you to your GP again. Mm -hmm. And we went to her and told her about it. And she's like, this is not right. And we said, we're not going back to the ER. (laughs) It's not working. So we said, we need a CT scan or an MRI. This is critical. She said, yep. Agreed. But we said, where are we going? So we agreed to pay for a private MRI. Wow. And we've got that controversy coming up. I know. Uh, this just I this did week. I see that. Yes. I yes. did see that on the news. <laughs> That's Agreed. Right. Yeah. But you know, for me, mm-hmm. it was a sense of I tried. I'd been in. I'd been three times now. And um, I, had to, I had to know. Um, and I'm glad I did. Because that MRI came back and showed my brain tumor had doubled in size. Wow. 
And, and did you go back to the neurologist and um, you know, tell him, her? So what I did do is um, after my brain surgery, I did. But I did it through, I reported the medical error. Mm-hmm. And the reason I did that was is because it's, that's actually one of the keys, I think, to improving medical error. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Is, it's, it's one of the keys because of course it is. it's like the aviation and mining industry. It's that's like right, the way yeah. to improve is to identify where the weak links are. We have and to give feedback. Um, feedback is a gift. Mm-hmm. And, and as we say, there are silver linings that come out of um, yes. the tragedies yeah. that, um, and that occur in life. it's not the individual. Life. It's often a system issue. Absolutely. And a human and you know, role, and, as you and were and saying. I, I hate to say this, but ego plays a role here as well. You know, with, with this kind of, the patient comes in. It's it's always dangerous, I think, for the patient to come in and say, I need such and such. Mm-hmm. I need lab work. I need, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. I need an IV. I need vitamin C IV. Whatever they say. <laughs> I need a CT scan. And people are like, no, you don't. Not mm-hmm. they, they get their guard up a little bit. So I think there's a little bit of, um, mm-hmm. you know, power play there. But um, so you've, uh, with your, you're, you're healthy today. Mm-hmm. You ended up yep. having surgery and yes. had that removed. Yes. You've suffered after that with PTSD, yes. which uh, understandably so. And, and what was that um, way that you told me you dealt with your PTSD? How did you? I initially started by writing and journaling, yeah, uh, which turned into my book, Two right. Steps Forward. I meditated. I went to a psychologist as well. Mm-hmm. And you and journaled before you went to, the, I did. went to the psychologist, which I loved. Yes, yeah, I did. That That's the way I started was I just had to vent somewhere and I did it through my laptop. Mm-hmm. We became firm friends. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, yes. And that can be so therapeutic because totally. when we when we talk, share our story, we yes. release the pain, we help yes. others and it, it can be so wonderful. And, you know, I'm, I'm really struck by the fact that you paid for the MRI, um, you know, stepped out of the line, uh, and w- which you weren't actually even in the line. You didn't even get the opportunity to get in the line, mm-hmm. but uh, you, you tried to get in the line. And, you know, not everybody has the means to uh, purchase a private Correct. MRI. And even people who have the means have the mentality that, no, I'm Canadian, my health care is covered, and I'm not going to pay privately for mm-hmm. anything, mm-hmm. Uh, which is uh, is anybody's choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but. But I think it's hard for a lot of families who, um, oh, totally. you know, would like to go the private route and uh, and it can be helpful and, and, and it's beneficial. But anyway, what the beauty and the silver lining that has come out of this is that you're healthy and mm-hmm. that you've written this beautiful book. Yes. You now speak, you're a motivational speaker. Yes. And um, Two Steps Forward, Embracing Life with a Brain Tumor, Claire Snayman. And I thank you so much for giving me this book. I appreciate it. I'm going to read this That's and also the beautiful mug. I'll read you the words at the end of the program on the mug that she gave me. But um, where can people buy that book, Claire? Uh, it's on my website, twosteps.ca, where people can go and read my blog and see what's going on there and uh, also see uh, I talk about a team approach, which is the way that I think it's really important for patients to be proactive in their own health care and collaborate with their health care team. I think that's the way to go forward. Absolutely. And you have to advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard. You have to have it is hard. a certain degree of <laughs> self-confidence to be able to advocate oh, yes. for yourself. And the sicker you are, the more difficult the more it vulnerable is. You are. The more vulnerable you are. You, mm-hmm. It's really difficult to actually advocate mm-hmm. for yourself. So yeah. so I appreciate your great work. I'm sorry you had to go through all of that tragic mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. in order to get to where you are mm-hmm. today. But um, but the silver lining is you. And, uh, and, and also I want to mention your TEDx 
Stanley Park talk as well. And is that on your website also? Yes, it is. How to save your life in a complex healthcare system is on the homepage. Wonderful. Thank you, Claire, so Thank much. Thank you for your time. Oh, Lovely to be here. Very welcome. Lovely to have you. And I'm Maureen McGrath, and you are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. I'm Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Hope you're doing well tonight, uh, as well as can be expected, given uh, the tragedy that has gone on in this country. Um, but particular tragedies occur every day, and you may not realize that. And we have been talking about medical errors that occur, but sometimes medical errors will change the standard of care. Sometimes they can be really serious medical errors that can occur, such as amputation of the incorrect limb. As a result of that, there ha- there are new policies and procedures in place, really stringent policies and procedures, writing on the um, pr- appropriate leg that is being uh, amputated, involving the patient in the care, uh, having all of the team members in the operating room involved in that care as well. And so, you know, if we can say some good comes out of bad. Um, but also trauma care is uh, has changed significantly. In 1976, Dr. Jim Steiner, an orthopedic surgeon, his small plane into a cornfield in Nebraska, and he sustained serious injuries. His wife died in that crash, and three of their four children were critically injured. At the local hospital, of course, they brought everybody to the hospital, and he felt that the care that he and his children received was inadequate, even by standards in those days. And he felt uh, he could provide better care in the field with limited resources than what his children and he received at the primary care facility. And he felt that there was something wrong with the system. The system had failed and needed to be changed. So his family's tragedy and the medical mistakes that followed gave rise to advanced trauma life support or the ATLS system that we have in place today in the standard of care that occurs in the first hour after trauma. And Dr. Steiner went on to help and produce the initial ATLS course. And in 1980, the American College of Surgeons Committee on Trauma adopted this, the ATLS, as their standard of care and began disseminating the course information worldwide. And of course, we've adopted that here in Canada as well. And so this is the standard for trauma care in emergency departments the world over. So sometimes good things come out of bad. Also, anesthesia monitoring. There is a fabulous, um, there is a fabulous YouTube video about um, anesthesia. It's called the anesthesia, anesthesiologist, because there's a perception that all the anesthesiologist does is do their banking online and, you know, online shopping and this kind of thing. But um, uh, it'll come to me. Um, This he's, he has dubbed in the new words um, about the anesthesiologist's um, job. Anyway, but Judy was 39 years old when she went to the hospital for hysterectomy, and that is the removal of her uterus. But she died on the operating room table, and the autopsy revealed that the anesthesiologist had placed the endotracheal tube into her esophagus as opposed, into her, as opposed to into her trachea. And so her, of course, that was not supporting her breathing, and she was given... Um, Uh, you know, she was anesthetized. And so today, 
anesthetists measure a patient's carbon dioxide levels, which are much higher from the trachea than they are from the esophagus. So that has changed the, pro- the protocol in operating rooms the world over. And in fact, there was a 2020 segment um, done a few years ago, a long time ago, actually. Um, but it was called the deep sleep. Um, and uh, it was about suffering or having suffering brain damage or dying after anesthesia. Fetal heart monitoring is something else that um, has changed as a result of a medical error and it was the basically a woman whose labor was very long and her obstetrician added oxytocin to help to speed things up and but administration of oxytocin can, led to and can lead to fetal distress that's why we monitor do fetal monitoring today uh, to watch out for that fetal heart rate um, so we test both the uterine contractions and the fetal heart rate and so that's a protective measure uh, as well, I did mention the wrong site amputation, and so we have a better protocol for that. Sponge counts is something else. Uh, there have been a number of situations where sponges have been left inside of patients, and that can lead to infection and sepsis and even death. And so there are a number of different protocols that are used in uh, operating rooms to uh, count the sponges that um, are used during a surgery. And um, so this... Um, it, when when we don't have standardized care, when we don't have particular protocols in place, it gives rise to errors. Uh, so it's very important that um, those sponges are counted and that they are double-checked. We double-check narcotics. Um, when we give those in certain facilities, we also do um, narcotic counts. Uh, there's also been fatal allergies that have occurred. We do ask everybody uh, when they come in if they have any allergies, um, and and sometimes so that that is part of the of the record. Also, potassium. There have been potassium mishaps, and that can actually stop your heart if you get too much potassium. And so now the. Uh, the producers of the IV bags, actually, they insert the potassium in the bag itself. So nurses are no longer responsible for doing that. So there are some good things that have come out of some bad mistakes, but uh, we aim to give the best care possible in our hospitals. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa HD radio at 101.1 FM HD2 and on the AM dial 980 CKNW.